I watched a video um, on YouTube. We don't read anymore, do we, in the 21st century? We watch videos on uh, Facebook and YouTube now. That's how we gather information off each other, um, which is quite worrying because a lot of stuff on the Internet is rubbish, frankly, and you have to be very careful. Uh, Wikipedia isn't a font of all knowledge, just as a side issue. Um, but there's a lot of nonsense out there. But this particular video caught my eye. And there was a guy at a university campus, and he was going around with a roving mic asking people uh, who believed in evolution and who were dead cert that that was the only explanation for life on this planet. And he went up to about ten of them, uh, one by one, it was cut very well, and he asked them a simple question, do you believe in evolution? And they all said, yes, 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 yes. Then he said, why? They said, scientific facts, scientific facts, all the way along. So he went on like that. He asked them a few other questions. Um, And then he said to them this, can you give me one observable, measurable example of evolution? And by that I mean one species changing to something else. Can you give me an observable, measurable example of it? And one by one they began to say things like, well, 64 billion years, no, no, no. Observable, measurable, recent. And one by one they all went like this, And then he said to them, so why do you believe in evolution? And they all then said, because my professors told me to, because it was written in a book, because they hadn't actually thought about it. And I wonder, as Christians this morning, if someone put a microphone under your face, under your face, under your nose, by your mouth, and said to you, can you explain to me in one sentence why Jesus Christ died and why it matters so much that I should trust him with my life and my death, and my eternity, could you actually answer, or would you sort of say, um, well, um, uh, well, there was, um, right at the very beginning, could you? I wonder if you could answer clearly and well. Today, across the globe, churches have in them a significantly high proportion of people who have been attending for years and years and years, who know all the lingo, who know all the language, attend all the prayer meetings, attend small groups, help out at outreach events, serve tea and coffee, do brilliant jobs, but who don't understand the cross, who don't get why Jesus died and have never actually been able to answer that question, why does it matter at all? And their faith is small because of it. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be very clever and use the letters of the word Easter. I don't know if that's going to appear. No, that's going to appear next week. Uh, that's my fault. I shouldn't ask Gavin to do things at 25 past 10. Um, I, I have a very high opinion of you, Gavin. Um, we're going to be using the word Easter as an, ac- an acronym. So each letter is going to mean something different about salvation and the cross of Christ. And this week, we start with the letter E, if you're not sure. Easter starts with an E. And uh, it's not a silent F or something, or a P. And E is for everlasting life, or eternal life. And just if you, in, in case you're interested, how would Jesus answer the question, why did you die? Well, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How would Jesus answer the question, why did you die? He would answer simply, I've come that they would have life and have it in all its fullness. Today we're going to be looking at that phrase, everlasting life, eternal life, and that Jesus died so that we could live forever. Isn't that amazing? That demands a response, surely. You're going to live forever, thank you. 
That's brilliant. That's my first time in from the back. Fantastic. Let's have more of that. But, um, but you're going to live forever if you trust in Jesus Christ. It's fantastic, isn't it? That's about the best thing you could ever tell a human being who is doomed to die. That, in fact, you're not going to. You're going to live forever. That's amazing. That is part of our gospel message. What is everlasting life? Well, the dictionary, um, which I, of course, looked up online, not from an actual book, but that's just the way we're going as well. Uh, it describes it literally as lasting forever. It doesn't mean decaying, getting old forever, but lasting forever, eternal duration. And if you were to ponder that definition of everlasting life, it really is quite mind-blowing. Jesus died so that we might live But not just live, live life to the full. But not just live life to the full here. Live life to the full forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I could go on forever with that phrase. In Christ, we have authentic life. We have the fullness of life. And we have an authentic full life that lasts into eternity with no end whatsoever. And isn't this what humanity is searching for? Isn't this what every Nivea cream ad is secretly hinting and tapping into? If you rub this on your face enough, you won't get old. You will get old. I'm sorry. There's nothing you can do to slow down the aging process. We try our best. Well, I don't bother, actually. But some people try. I've given up worrying about it. Um, And if you're under 25 right now, you don't quite believe me, do you? I won't look at anybody if you're under 25, but you secretly think you'll be under 25 forever. Trust me, you'll blink of an eye and you'll think, what happened? Why am I nearly 40? (laughs) I still feel 19. I still act 19. (laughs) But you can't do anything about it. This is what humanity is desperately searching for. Everlasting life, isn't it? If you like Indiana Jones, which of course if you're a regular decent human being, you will love Indiana Jones films. And in that one I think it's the last crusade, they find the holy grail, the cup that Jesus used. Nonsense thing really. And in that cup, if you drink the water from the cup you live forever. Brilliant. But in the film unfortunately you can't leave the little room. Um, But that's a slight downside to that. But this is what we're after, isn't it? Gene manipulation, DNA, cryogenics, take your pick. Everything is really about the quest to live forever. The closest thing we've ever come, there is a, there is a moment actually where every human being discovers um, immortality. And do you know when that moment is? 8, 8.30 on a Monday morning when you're at work. Because at 8.30 on a Monday morning when you're at work, you know life isn't going to move on any faster. You know that Friday is at least three weeks away Uh, And you know that you're going to be stuck in that hour for at least 17 hours. Um, But praise the Lord, Monday does become Friday, doesn't it? Which is good. But then it becomes Monday again, and you start the whole process. Jesus, in Luke 18, verse 18, was asked this very same question. Good teacher, a certain ruler asked, what must I do to um, inherit eternal life? It was a question 2,000 years ago. It's a question today. How can I live properly, fully, forever. And the good news is that when Jesus Christ died at Easter and rose again, he bought every single one of us who put our faith in him everlasting life. The concept of living forever runs right through the entire Bible. Psalm 133, verse 3, which talks about the unity of God's people. And when God's people come together, God blesses it. It says, um, for there, in that place of blessing, God bestows his blessing. What is God's blessing on his people? Even life evermore. 
right back in the Psalms, the Psalms were saying, this is what God blesses his people with, everlasting life. In John chapter 8, verse 51, everlasting life was central to Jesus' teaching. He says, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Death won't even be on their radar. I know we die. Of course we die. But death, in its truest sense, spiritually and physically, will not even be the thing it is for everybody else. It was central to the claims Jesus made about himself. John chapter 11, verse 25 to 26. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me, lives by believing in me, will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, I do actually, with all my heart and soul. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, we see that this concept of living forever stands in stark contrast to a world and all of its priorities that are slowly winding down and fading away. John writes, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Isn't that absolutely amazing? And it reminds me that everything this world offers us has a shelf life. If you go shopping in Tesco's or wherever you go shopping, everything you pick up has a sell-by date. Nothing lasts forever. Everything goes off. Everything goes bad. Everything breaks. This church has been here for 150 years, but it won't be here for 1,000 years. It will crumble at some point and collapse. Some of you wish that was sooner. I don't know. But, But nothing lasts forever. Nothing. Everything has a shelf life, but not just buildings, not just our bodies. Everything, fame and fortune, health, and beauty, friends, success, all of it is temporary. All of it is an illusion of eternity. Trust in this and it will be great forever. Happily ever after, we're told we live when we find our one true love. No, don't. It lasts for a while. Only in God do we live forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 to 17, is written by a man named Solomon. And Solomon was a man that had pretty much everything. You know, I've got a lot compared to most of the world, but Solomon had absolutely everything. More money than sense, more buildings than he knew how to fit into, everything he could possibly want. He even had more wives than he could shake a stick at. I was going to make a joke out. <laughs> I'm not brave enough to make that sort of joke. He had everything, but this is how he starts a book called Ecclesiastes. Verse 1 all the way down to um, verse 17. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. You think, it's not a fairy tale, this one, is it? It's not going to perk you up for Monday morning. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. What a depressing man this is. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never, has, never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is it's, it's fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. I'm sure there's going to be a joke at some point to cheer everybody up. Is there anything 
of which one can say, look, here's something new. No, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel, uh, king over in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them, all of them, all of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also madness and folly. But I learned this too. It is a chasing after the wind. Never book Solomon as an after-dinner speaker. (laughs) But because everything is finite, because everything ends, Solomon thought, what's the point of any of it? Because none of it's going to last longer than one or two generations if you're lucky. But at the cross, when Christ gave his life, the immortal dying for us, when he rose again crucially, he offered and made it possible to live not just a life that is temporary and finite, but one that is everlasting and infinite. Everlasting life is central to our gospel message. We had it up earlier on. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him does not perish, but has eternal life. It is at the heart of our gospel message, our Easter message. Why did Jesus die? So that you can live forever. And that thought alone should change so much if you really truly ponder it. If you ponder everlasting life, our priorities change. Our perspective should be changing. I heard once of a missionary that was held at gunpoint to the head by two men somewhere. I forget where it is. And they asked him simply, have you got any last words? And what did he say? He said, yes, actually. They didn't say it quite like that. But he started and he said, yes, if you kill me, I know exactly where I'm going. But if you die today, do you know where you're going? And it was such a perceptive, God-inspired question that they put the gun down and let him go. Because it changed his priorities. John chapter 14, uh, one of my favorite passages, where Jesus is speaking about going back to his Father in heaven. He says this, verses 1 to 7, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And you will also be where I am. And you know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen me. Whenever I ponder my future, where will I live when I retire? What will my old age look like? What will I have? What will I be lacking? I come back to John chapter 14 and I say, do you know what? Even if I have nothing, one thing I've got is a mansion in heaven. That right now the Son of God is getting a room ready with my name on it, Gary Hansen above the door. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to say, your room is ready, come home. 
And do you know what? Even when we have nothing on this earth, always say to yourself, I've got a mansion in heaven. This is so short. That verse I tried to read earlier on is so as about the temporary struggles. The infinite reward of God is awesome. And it pales this life into insignificance when you will get there. When you see God face to face and you go into your room that Jesus Christ has prepared for you, everything will be forgotten. The hurt, the pain, the worry will all not even be a distant memory because you will be where you were made to be in the presence of God, living eternally. But it's a big topic, uh, and it's quite a scary topic. I remember a quite sad story. When I was first a Christian, I used to go to a church called Good Maze Baptist Church. It was in Good Maze. And, uh, and so we went there every Sunday, which is what we try and do, isn't it, as Christians? And I remember going to like a youth conversation thing one Sunday night and we started talking about heaven. I was only been a Christian for, I don't know, five minutes or something. And uh, there was a guy called Darren Johnson. And I remember his name to this day because we started talking about heaven and living forever. Darren Johnson fell apart. I watched his faith crumble because he couldn't handle the concept of living forever. I didn't understand then. I don't really understand now because it's brilliant news. Um, who wants to not do that? But he couldn't get his head around it, and he lost his faith. I didn't know what to say to him. I was 11. Um, it's such a shame, but it did his head in. A lot of people have questions about everlasting life. Normally, the, most common, the two most common questions about living forever in heaven, the first is, am I allowed to play football? And if everybody's perfect and everyone's nice, who wins? And if you win, can you gloat? As a Tottenham supporter, I could gloat right now, but I'm not going to. The second question people ask, which is actually one that's filled with fear, is will heaven be like church? I've got good news. It won't be. It'll be better. Church is good, but heaven's going to be awesome. Um, It won't be like a church service for eternity. Don't panic. Um, But I remember having long talks with a friend of mine when I was first a Christian. We would sit on the phone for hours, and that's no exaggeration, talking about heaven. What would it be like? What would it look like? What would it smell like? What would it feel like? If the grass is perfect, will it be springy? Uh, What would the trees be like? Will it be blue sky? What would it be like? The hairs on the back of my neck and on my arms just stand up because I thought, that's going to be brilliant. I can't wait. I was almost disappointed to be 11 and not 91 or some other age. But those conversations, I believe, put something in my heart that have changed my perspective on life ever since then because it made me look forward to what I've got coming to me, not what I've got now. So we need to think about heaven. But before we do that, I want to go back to the very beginning because why is everlasting life at the heart of the gospel message? Why is it E on our acronym of Easter. Why is it the answer to why Jesus died? We want to go back just very briefly to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. Because in the Garden of Eden, when God first made the world, he made it perfect. And everlasting life wasn't something that we didn't have. It was meant by God that every human being that would be born after Adam and Eve would all live forever. Everlasting life was a part of God's creation. In the Garden of Eden, God made one command... It says in chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, The Lord God took the man, as Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. That's the only don't command that God gave humanity. After that, it was do and enjoy every bit of it. The whole earth was ours, was theirs. And this one garden in the middle, with all its verdant, uh, beautiful foliage and trees and plants and rivers and all that sort of thing, had just one tree. That was our only way of showing God that we loved him, was by not touching it. That's all we had to do, simple. And God says, if you eat from the fruit of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 13, I won't read it all, it's quite long, but it tells a story of the devil sneaking in in the form of a serpent and saying to Eve, particularly, starts with her, did God really say that you'll die if you eat it? She says, yes. And he says, no, that's not true. God knows if you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll know you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. She sees the fruit, it suddenly looks wonderful. She reaches out and eats it, gives some to Adam, and they both eat They hide from God. They run away and hide. That's what sin makes us do, hide from God. When you turn your back on God, your first instinct is to run, is to skip church, not be in a small group, and hide from prayer because that's where God is. And you think, I don't want to go because I'm terrible. Don't do that. They were so aware of their nakedness and their sin, they hid from God and they ate. And death came in the human race and from that moment that decisive moment in human history everything was changed that act by adam and eve um, changed every single one of us every single human being is now born different is now born broken we're no longer born with eternal life we're born with this thing called death in every single one of our futures we refer to this um this condition as original sin and we are born with sin it doesn't mean that we're sinners when we're born no two no two day old baby has ever sworn or lied of course not but they're all born with a problem. Every single one of us is born into a broken relationship with God. Every single one of us is born into a broken body and a broken spirit that needs God to restore it. Only God, through Jesus, can restore it. And if you don't believe me that a baby is born with a sin problem, spend five minutes with an angry two-year-old, and you will see what I'm talking about. No one's disagreeing, by the way. Um, But that act by Adam and Eve meant that death was something every human being was doomed to experience. Romans chapter 5, 12 to 14 says it very well. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not charged against one's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even, though, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. Sin and death went together from that moment on. And so our gospel message at Easter, our message of salvation, is that at the cross, Jesus didn't just deal with your sin, he dealt with your death as well. He stepped into your place to die for you so that you could live forever. That's what he does. He dies as our representative and our eternal destiny is changed. So why did Jesus die? He died for our sin so that we could be alive through him. 
And so let's look forward quickly, just very quickly. We're going to do something in a moment where we really concentrate on heaven. But what happens in this eternal life? Just three things, I won't read them, but three things you can think about in a moment. Revelation 22 verse 4, the Bible tells us we'll see God's face. We'll actually see God face to face. Isaiah 65 verse 17 to 25 tells us that it will be a real place. Heaven isn't some cloud, it is an actual place. God is going to make everything new, the heavens and the earth. It will be terra firma, a real place. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us we will have perfect bodies. The everlasting life that God gives is communion with him. Life in a perfect place with perfect bodies. And just three things that means for us is that should change our priorities. We should work not for food that spoils, but for food that lasts for eternity, Jesus says. We should focus on that being our inheritance. And number three, it should also be our message. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, we read this. This is our testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And so what we're going to do now is I want to play you a song. It's a song by an American Christian band called Mercy Me. And, uh, and they're brilliant, Mercy Me. Um, if you get a chance to listen to some of their stuff, it's very good. And it's called I Can Only Imagine. And I want to take you back to 11-year-old Gary Hansen for five minutes and do what I used to do at 11 and 12 with my friend on the phone and just imagine what will it be like when we die and be in glory with God in heaven? What will it be like standing in the kingdom of God with the gold-paved streets, seeing God face to face? What will it be like meeting Jesus for the very first time face to face? What will it be like? So we're going to play this song. It's just a few minutes. But as you listen to it, I want you to ask yourselves a few questions, to think about a few things. Think about your priorities now. Think about your goals and your aims in life, what you've set yourself to achieve this side of the grave. Think about what you're worrying about and reorientate all of that with a heavenly perspective. Let's just listen to this. final song but let me just read a few verses from revelation 21 we don't actually have to imagine god has told us what we can expect it says then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of god is with men He will live with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. 
And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give without, to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. I will be his God and he will be my child. Let's just pray before we sing. Father God, we said a lot this morning, but Lord, it's a sign of us never really thinking beyond this present life. Father God, you've given us an inheritance, your word says, that will not spoil or fade, where moth cannot destroy. Father God, we spend so much of our lives investing in what we can see and touch, and Lord, in a world that is passing away. One John says that clearly, everything is passing away, but the one who does your will will last forever. Father God, may we work for food that doesn't spoil. May we do things, Lord, for your kingdom to come. May we focus, Lord, not on what is going to pass away, but what is coming and will never pass away. Lord, you're going to shake the kingdoms of this earth, but your kingdom is unshakable. Your throne, Lord, will never be usurped or taken away. When Christ comes again, Lord, in power and glory, that will be it. There will be no other kingdom. There will be no breaking. There will be no death or mourning. There will be no other sin ever committed for eternity. Lord, no one will ever say goodbye to a loved one. No one will ever lose anything. No one will ever be ill or sick. Lord, there will be no redundancies. There will be no loneliness. There will be no pain. There will be no loss. There will be no guilt, no shame. Lord, every single one of us will be clothed in a white robe forever and ever and ever. We will worship you, Lord, not in a dull old church service, but in the most passionate, intimate way of worshipping you that we couldn't even imagine if we tried. Father God, give us heavenly perspectives this morning. May we not focus on the time we have left, but focus on the everlasting that we have to come. And we thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die in our place, to be our representative, to second Adam. Lord, what he failed to do, your son did, so that when we trust in him, death has lost its sting. Oh God, be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll close with this song.